Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. This morning, we are in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bible on your lap, go ahead and flip in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 4. Verse 32, that's about as far as we made it last week. Um, In the book of Acts, we've been discussing what the acts or activities, actions of the new church are, and really what the acts or action or activity of the Holy Spirit is in the church, as the church was birthed in a prayer meeting. And in prayer, the Holy Spirit fell, and we started seeing the Holy Spirit not only moving people towards Christ, but indwelling and overflowing them. And we see it expressing Himself through the gift of tongues and uh, healings, as we saw last week with the man healed at the gate beautiful. But we also saw, just as soon as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church and the church is born, it comes under attack. And we saw the attack begin last week as Peter and John are hauled off before the high court. What's this thing you're doing healing that man? And, and, and whose name are you healing him? And bottom line is, it's in the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, they said, right? And they threatened him severely, and they said, yeah, you can't do that anymore. Just stop. Stop it. Stop doing it. And we saw, you know, in Jesus' day, in the church day, even today, where the society, the cancel culture, the government, the censorship, uh, the things that are going on in the world that say, you can't talk about that. That's not authorized. You can't talk about it. And yet here stands the man healed. You can't refute the miracle. God's in the house. Jesus is moving. The Holy Spirit has touched this guy. He's a new creature in Christ. And yet you're trying to censor the church. And so there's so much that we can see and learn about that in the world today. One of the things that's I know on everybody's heart and everybody's mind right now is what's going on in the Middle East with Israel and Hamas and Gaza and, and all these other nations and what's going on. Is this, is this it? Is this that? Is this the thing I read about in the Bible? And I would say yes and no and maybe. And if you want more information, come on Wednesday night, okay? Last Tuesday, we did a, a, a special session with the, the group. Lloyd and Sherry were out of town, and so I got, and, I, and I, I gave a study on Israel, Hamas, and the end times. And by popular demand, I guess a lot of people want to hear that. I'll be doing it again this Wednesday. So if you didn't get to see that or hear that, an opportunity to kind of get a prophecy update. What in the world is going on? This much I can tell you, and you can take this one to the bank. In Psalm 121, you may look there if you want, but I'll be brief. Psalm 121, this is what God says about everything that we're seeing happening with the nation of Israel and the world today. We read, uh, it's a song of ascents. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And it's funny how God... And those, these people writing the scriptures are always going back to God. That's where my help is. The guy who created everything. 
creator God from the beginning, the God who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who sleeps will not slumber. There's not a second in all of history, in all the universe, that God isn't totally engaged with what's going on. So when you wake up in the morning and things have happened since last night on your newsfeed, just know none of it is escaping God's attention. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. That's encouraging news, team. Whatever you see in the news, just know that. That's the good news. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper or your protector. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. October 7th and beyond. God is on duty. He's taking care of, He's watching Israel. It says in the next Psalm, Psalm 122, that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they may prosper who love Israel. And I want to give, I'm already starting to roll into Wednesday night study. I need to back out a little bit here. I kind of get that way sometimes. I get excited about what God is saying, and we see it on the news every night. But I will just say this, and this is out of the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 2, beginning at verse 8, we read, For thus says the Lord of hosts, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you, speaking of Israel. For he, he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. And we, we hear this term, apple of God's eye. Literally, that's a, a, a euphemism, a, a metaphor for the pupil, the little black dot. That's the apple of God's eye. That's what God's focus is. What does the Scriptures teach us God's focus is? Israel, the apple of God's eye. He always keeps His eye on Israel. Hint, Christians, we should keep our eye on Israel. Israel is God's timepiece. God told us that He would bring us Israel to the world that we all might know He is God, and through Israel and the relationship, we can watch what God is doing in the world. Israel is, in so many ways, just like all the rest of us, messed up, sinful, fallen, broken, and God is patient and kind and forgiving and just and everything that God said He would do, He would do. It says in verse 9 of Zechariah 2, For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become a spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. It's evidence, it's proof. And here it's written by Zechariah over 2,000 years ago. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in your midst, and then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So as you look at what's going on in the world today, I just want you to make sure that you look at the good news. Don't forget your news feed. You have it right here on your lap today. That being said, we're going to go back to Acts now, chapter 4. 
Persecution has broken out in the church. At verse 13 of Acts chapter 4, I'll just read it. Summary, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. There you go. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And, and I would just encourage you, not only is this the government and the culture and the religious leaders of their day, it's the same today. The truth shall set you free. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we have the truth, and we speak the truth, and we know the truth, we live the truth, we experience the truth. But there are enemies arrayed against us from our culture to our government who are trying their very best to cancel us and silence us and censor us, okay? The, the, the game hasn't changed that much. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, all that, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among them, we'll counsel uh, Facebook to edit everything they say. No, that's not what it is. It's something like that. It says, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus, but, <laughs> but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the midst of inside of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. That, that's your problem. That's your issue. If it triggers you that I love Jesus and I preach Jesus and I teach Jesus and people are being saved by Jesus and you're watching miracles walking about you every day, if that triggers you, that's, that's, that's for you to deal with. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak things which we have seen and heard. And this morning's message, I know I'm priming the pump here, it's about truth, it's about honesty, and it's about deception, and it's about lying. That's what we're in store for this morning. Truth and error, honesty, and lying. Verse 21, so when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, on whom this miracle and healing had been performed. Now we have caught up from last week. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, man, that stinking government. <laughs> I know I've said that, and I'll bet some of you have said that. But that's not what it says. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. This is the place to start. That's where the psalmist got started. You are the God of heaven and earth. You are the made, the made the seas, the sun, the moon, the stars, all that's in them, all creation. You are God. We always go to God. And we start with the reality that He is creator. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient, all-knowing. He's all love. 
And he has a plan, and he's working his plan in the world. And every time we look at whatever's going on around us, back up, Lord, God, you are good. Oh, Lord, my God. When I consider all the works thy hands have made, the sun, the stars, the glory of God, all of a sudden, all of the stuff we see gets smaller in light of His glory. And so, this is where they start. And I think it's very good for us, church, as we go through tumultuous times. We're watching the world virtually disintegrate before our very eyes. And yet, as Jeff said during communion, it's all part of the plan. There's nothing here outside of God's purview. He's in charge, always has been, always will be. He's on the throne. So whatever's happening, if it looks confusing to you, just know he's got this. And if you're having a difficult time, go to God with it. I, I love this, that you who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And we're going to start in here with some of these lies and answers to the lies. Don't speak, don't heal, don't preach, don't teach in the name of that man. You just leave Jesus out of it. In the schools. We all know it's evolution. There's no God. You can't speak the name of Jesus. You can't bring your Bible. You can't preach in school. You can't. Yes, you can. But they've scared us. They've, they've cowed us. They've, they've convinced us we can't, but we can. And people do all the time, and we see that in the news. If we just be bold, as Peter and John were, they were bold, they were lucid, they were clear, they were, they were composed, but they were powerful. And they just said, this is the truth. It's between you and God. You figure it out, but I can't help but speak that which I know. And we watch this lie of evolution and this battle with the authority of God. In Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, we read this, "'For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness.'" You want to be on God's bad side? You want to be on the receiving end of wrath? It's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. And when we live in a world where they just feed us lie after lie after lie, we have to say, wait a minute, that's not true. Now, I am so grateful, and as I look out at the room, I know there are many Christian educators in this room, and there are many Christian educators across America that are doing their very best to stand up in front of their students in the onslaught of this insanity that's just infected the planet and try to help the kids think and come to logical, clear-minded, sound, honest answers. But the truth is, in America today, education has gone off the rails. Uh, Betsy DeVos, she was the um, secretary of the Department of Education in the Trump administration. Just recently, she came out and she said, you know what? The Department of Education needs to be dismantled. 
just defund it, get rid of it. It's not doing us any good. It's poisoning the soul of our country, and they withhold funding if you don't teach LGBTQ+, if you don't give kids an opportunity to decide what they are, boys or girls, they can't figure out white from wrong. They don't know if this is male or female. They're pushing BLM, CRT, DEI, all of this stuff. We've got a whole new alphabet. Since you grew up, it used to be A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now it's L, B, G, T, Q, P, L, M, C, R, T, D, E, I. But Lord, you are God who made heaven and all and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and I love this, referring to now Psalm 2 in the Bible. Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. I want to take you to... Psalm 2 in your Bible, take a minute to flip there because I want to show you a couple things really quick. So here's Peter and all of them, it says, and they with one accord, the whole church agreed in harmony. They agreed. They said this out loud and they quoted what David said in Psalm 2 we read, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? They think they're going to somehow take over the world with this new Marxist ideology, this globalism, this one world government, and all of this humanism, godlessness. They plot a vain thing. They're raging. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His Christ. Do you see that in Psalm 2? You probably see anointed, right? Because that word anointed is the Hebrew word, because the Psalms were written in Hebrew. That word in Hebrew is Mashiach. Mashiach. That's where we get the word Messiah. Messiah literally translated means the anointed one, the one on whom the Holy Spirit rests. And that's why we see in Acts chapter 4, hold your place in Acts chapter 2, but in Acts chapter 4, it says, against the Lord and His Christ. Because Christ is the New Testament word from Greek, Christos, which is the same word as Mashiach, which is to say the anointed one, the one on whom the Holy Spirit has been poured out the one we can identify by the Holy Spirit. If you remember at Jesus' baptism, when He came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and the Lord spoke from heaven, the Father, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit, as it were a dove, descended and lighted upon Him. And the people were there witnessed it, that He was the anointed one, the Holy Spirit fell on him. And then in Nazareth, the first time Jesus got up to preach, he preached in his hometown. And in that, he spoke from the prophet Isaiah. We read in Luke chapter 4, 18, Jesus' words, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus is calling himself the Christ, Mashiach, the anointed one. He has anointed me. 
So I want to come back here to Psalm 2 for just a minute. Why do the nations rage? The people plot vain things. The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together and the Lord against his anointed. Now, class, who is this, this anointed one? It's Jesus Christ right there in your Old Testament in Psalm 2. Okay? They take counsel against the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, God. Against God and His Son. They're plotting against the Father and the Son. They say, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. This is a, a, kind of a cool thing. There's God watching all these schemes of man, and He laughs. He laughs at their foolishness, at their ignorance. At, 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 and and uh, it's, it just, uh, it says in verse 5, then He shall speak to them in His wrath. What brings on the wrath of God? Men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I have installed upon Zion the hill of my holiness. And just so that you know, Zion is literally translated out of the Hebrew, the citadel, the fortress. And it is that place on the backbone of the Judean mountains in the city of Jerusalem, in a portion of the city known as the city of David, where God set up His temple. And He said, I will put my name on Jerusalem forever. This is my holy city. These are my chosen people. This is my promised land. And you can take it to the bank no matter what you hear on the news about Palestinians or Arabs or all these different things. They, they pick a time in history, and they start their history from there. But if you go back to the beginning and follow it all the way through, it's God's to give, and He gave it to Israel, to Zion. And so you, Christian, also, as we receive God's Word, we cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, accept this as the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We are Zionists. So when you hear that term in the news, just know we stand with Israel. He will have pleasure on those who stand with Israel. Again, is Israel good? Sometimes. Is Israel bad? Sometimes. Are they fallen? Sure. Are they sinners? Yeah, so are you. But they are the apple of God's eye, and we will stick with them. It says, and I'll just finish up. He says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Again, who are we talking about? Jesus Christ. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Straight up holy reverence. You do know who you're dealing with, right? God Almighty. He's your Father, Abba Father. You can cry out to Him in time of need, and He'll smile on you because He's your child. He bled and died for you. He purchased you. He knows you're broken, but He also knows you're saved, and He will complete the work that He began in you. Nevertheless, you don't toy with Him. I use the example of electricity. Electricity is fantastic. 
We're using it to light the room, run the fans, eat the building. Electricity is wonderful. Go stick your tongue in a socket. And you'll be like, no. And I say, but you have to. You can't join this church if you don't stick your tongue in a socket. You're like, oh, I'm afraid. Good, good. Now you're understanding. God is good. But you don't mess with Him. You don't put your finger in His eye. Okay? You shall fear Him and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son lest He be angry and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in Him. Now, you're probably thinking, where are you, Mike? What, what, I thought this was Acts chapter 4, and it is. And so, come back to Acts chapter 4. They've just been dismissed from the government. The government told them, you can't do that Christian thing anymore. There's a virus going around. We're just going to shut you down. You can't speak those things in the public square. You can't go to a school board meeting and pray in the name of Jesus. Well, if that triggers you, you deal with it. I can't help but speak the things I believe and I see and I know to be true. And they've come from this meeting and they pray, they pray to Lord, the Lord God who created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And they go to Psalm 2 where God from His throne laughs at the folly of mankind who tries to go about setting up a world and pushing God out of it. It's absolute waste. He says, kiss the sun, make peace with Jesus while you can. This is what the church now in unity declares. We're on God's team. We are following the Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One. And this is what they confirm as they speak this all together. Verse 27, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. That's pretty much everybody. The whole world came against Him. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This wasn't something that surprised God. This is not plan B. This is the plan from the beginning, from the garden, just as Jeff spoke this morning in communion, that yes, Satan would bruise his heel. He's going to get nailed to a cross, but he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to wipe it out. And this has been going on since the beginning of time, this plan to sacrifice himself for the sins of the world that we could become sons of God. So, to do whatever your hand, according to your purpose, determined before to be done. Verse 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that they would knock it off. Please stop. They're scaring us. I'm afraid. What if they, what if they close my bank account? What if, they, what if they arrest me? What if they... Is that what they prayed for? What does your Bible say? Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Lord, help us. It's getting harder. We need your Holy Spirit. We need the gift of your Holy Spirit that you promised us that on the day of Pentecost that you would pour out upon us your power that we could be your witnesses that 
dunamis, a dynamic power that we could be your witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We need more. We need more juice. We need more power, Lord. The battle's getting uh, harder. The heat is getting higher. We need more of your Holy Spirit so we can go out and do that which you called us to do. That's what they pray for. In light of all of these adversaries being aligned against them. And remember, they've only been at church a couple days. Pentecost is just like last week. or It's just, they're barely, barely going. And yet, here they've come across, the whole world is coming against them. And what do they say? More love, more power, more of you in my life. I need you, God. We need you so we can witness for you. I like what Spurgeon wrote, C.H. Spurgeon. He wrote, Lord, we're not asking for lighter loads, just stronger backs. Help us to deal with this. We're not trying to run. We're engaging. We're going straight in. And we need you to support us. Get our back. Lord, look on your threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. The truth. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, boldly, clearly, lucidly, powerfully, convincingly. Help us, give us the words, give us the opportunity, and then let her rip, Lord. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal, that the signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Amen. Just as that man was healed at the gate, beautiful, and it erupted into a sermon that erupted into a revival, and two more thousand people were added to the church that day, more, Lord, more. Don't stop now. We're getting steam in the engine. This is great. Just a matter of which way you look at it. Your servants, your boldness, your hand, your holy servant, Jesus. May that be magnified. To Him be the glory. I'd like to ask that we read this together now. It said, this is what the church did. I'm going to pick us up at verse 24, and we're going to read on through verse 30 together. Ready? So, when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
Amen. You spoke it. We spoke it. This is our prayer. Jesus, come quickly. Fall on us. Fill us. Enable us. Send us out. Help us to be part of the solution in the days that we live. The dark days, the threats, the violence, the victory. This week, how many times have I walked into a... We were at Costco yesterday. We went to get a hot dog. It's my cheap date with Cheryl. I was like... Let's go have a hot dog for lunch, right? And as we sat down, there's another couple there from a ministry in Twin Falls. And they sat at the same table because the place was crazy crowded. And as we started talking about ministry, and, and it just started, it turned into a total Jesus fest right there in the middle of Costco. And we're going on learning about their ministry. They're learning about our ministries and how God has given us opportunity day after day after day to engage. And, uh, and that's what we do. Last week, Truth and Treat. That was off the hook. It was crazy. It was so cool, right? At the Snyder's house, I, people just coming in droves, and we're witnessing to them, and, and it was just so fun. And some of the kids were coming and go, oh, I know that, the little trick that we did, the truth and treat with the, the orange and the, the black little deals. And they're like, I know how to do that. And I said, okay, great. And I gave it to them. You do it to me. You already know how to do it. You know, we're turning these kids into little evangelists. We come down to the church and the Pure Word Ministry, they're meeting in the parking lot, roasting weenies. We called it a holy wiener instead of Halloween. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's opportunity everywhere we go. Jeff is talking about opportunities. Idaho Chooses Life, the dinner that's coming up. We've got things going on. The, the T Home graduation coming up on uh, December 10th. That's, or no, no. December 10th, okay? Uh, the, the soup kitchen coming. There's, there's places and times everywhere for us to engage and, 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 and go out, but that's what we're praying for. Lord, not lighter, not, not lighter loads, but stronger backs, right? Verse 31, and when they prayed, the place where they assembled together was shaken. Yahoo, an earthquake. Have you ever been there where you're praying? You're praying for something and all of a sudden an earthquake happens? It happened in the Philippines a lot because that place is way seismically active. But I can't tell you how many times we would pray for something to happen and boom, the building would shake. Or you pray for the rain to stop, bam, the rain would stop. And, and how God does hear and answer prayers. And is every earthquake an answer to prayer? I don't know, but can earthquakes be an answer to prayer? Absolutely, right? Sometimes we don't see that. Can cancer be an answer to prayer? Sure, can. Come to the soup, kitchen, or soup dinner and find out, okay? There's things in this world, and you're like, God is God of all. So the place they are assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Amen. Answered prayer. That would, that would, that would make you bold, right? You're praying, and all of a sudden, the building shakes, and you're like, whoa, God said, yeah, go for it. Well, just know, God did say, yeah, go for it. With or without the shaking, we heard it right here, right? You read it right here. Verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. All things in koinos, that's where we get the word koinonia, for fellowship. They shared everything in common. And this is a beautiful thing. Now, in this... This is the only place in the Scripture where we see this actually happening, where the early church, the band of believers, gathered together, and they shared everything. They had everything in common. As anybody had need, they would share that. We see many instances in the Scripture where people do give 
to the ministry of the church, the, to the feeding of the um, widows or the, the support of the, the church work or, or famine relief and those kinds of things. But this is the only place we see them come together in one community and share everything in common. The reason I say that is because this isn't communism. It is having all things in common. You know the difference between this and communism? This, everybody shares everything joyfully out of their heart. You have, I have, let's share. Communism is, hey, comrade, give me your stuff. We'll distribute it for you. It's a completely different uh, deal. Um, at any rate, they had all things in common. Um, I'm going to bring this up, and it's, I don't know that it's uh, actually here and there or whatever, but... Um, there's an, a ministry over in Israel right now called Hashemona, and this is, a, it's like a kibbutz, but it's a little bit different. It's Moshav, and they're the same kind of thing as the community of people that gather together. They were founded back in 1948 when Israel became a community or became a nation, and right there in that first year, eight people from Finland, Messianic Jews, set up 10 miles north of Jerusalem, a community where everybody has everything in common, just like we're reading right here. And they would share these things, and uh, they built this community. Well, over the years, Hashemunah is now kind of like a Christian receipt, uh, retreat center, kind of a camp kind of a place where people would come to do youth group gatherings or, or that kind of stuff. And they have a kind of a, a facility they call their hotel. It, it lodges about 150 people. This is the place where you may know of a guy by the name of Amir Sarfati. He's a person who speaks to issues in the world, especially that deal with Israel today. This is the place where Amir Sarfati was saved. He met Jesus here at Hashemona, okay, this Messianic Jewish enclave in Israel. It's been there since the founding of the country. They are now taking refugees from southern Israel, people whose homes have been destroyed and uh, they've been run out, and they're running it as a, a refugee center right now. Some of people have come to me and said, Mike, do you know of any place I could send support to, to Israel? This is a place you could do that, okay? Again, I can't vouch for every way they spend their money, but according to their website and the things that I've been digging into and different people I know, including my pastor, Gerald Hagerman, who looked into it and he recommended them to me. Um, they, anything that we send as relief for the purposes of this issue in Israel, they will use to help support all these refugees, their housing, their food, their clothing, and all these kinds of things. But at any rate, that community, Hashemona in Israel, is like this, okay? Everybody just puts everything into the pot, and they all work together out of it. But in the Scriptures, we don't see that as something mandated upon the church. It's as the Holy Spirit would move, as He would move on the church uh, to do these things. It says in verse 33, "...and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all." I love that. Great power and great grace. That, that word great we, that's the Greek word, you know it pretty well, mega, mega, mega dunamis, mega power, mega grace, right? Lots of it, more than you even begin to imagine what could we do with all this grace that God is giving us. And yet, this is how God is. He just loves to pour His grace upon people who will receive it and give Him the glory and say thank you. 
And so this is going on, and the church is growing now, and the heart of it, to give testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They could have said to the ministry of Jesus Christ, or to the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, but always it's the resurrection. That is the center. That is the apple, if you will, the focal point of the gospel, that He rose again. Because you see, there's been all kinds of prophets down through the ages, all kinds of Christs we, we read about in uh, John's letters that have come into this world, but there's only one Jesus Christ, Son of God, as we read about out of Psalms chapter 2. And as we come together and recognize this, it's His resurrection. Buddha did not come out of the grave. Muhammad did not come out of the grave. Nobody has come out of the grave save Jesus Christ, just as He predicted for thousands of years in print. You can cross-reference it. He said, put me in the ground three days. I'll come back up again. And sure enough, He did. And this is why we recognize Him, and that's why that's the heart of the gospel. When you share the good news of Jesus Christ, that in this sinful, fallen world where every single one of us has been infected with sin, we're all sinners, there's none righteous, not one, and we all have to pay our debt to God, and that penalty for sin is death. We have to pay that debt, but, and this is the good news, Jesus paid it for us. How did He pay it for us? He died on the cross in our place. That's great. I don't have to die. He did it for me. But when He died, then how do you know? Anybody could have said that. But He said, put me in the ground. Three days, I'm coming back out again. And when He came out of the ground, then you know the debt was paid. Everything that He said, He has done beyond a shadow of a doubt. And this is why, this is what they're preaching with great power and great grace. They give witness to the resurrection. That should always be part of your sharing when you share to people. Because frankly, this is the part that probably hangs most people up. And when you're talking to your neighbors, your family members, or whatever, I don't know about this whole business of raising from the dead. Okay, this is the part you need to reconcile. You need to wrap your head around that. And one of the funny things about this, you know, and I shared, I shared about you last week, Valerie, and so I'm going to do it again, but when you came up out of the water, oh, it's better than I ever thought, because it is. But how are you ever going to know that if you don't get in the water, if you don't taste and see? And if you haven't been born again, if you don't have that new life in you, you're telling your friends till you're blue in the face, and they can't figure it out. But that's why it's so important to double down on the resurrection, because that's the point they're going to have to come to terms with. That's where they're going to meet Jesus Christ, just like Mary Magdalene and Peter and John on Easter morning. The grave is empty. He's not here. What are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And that's, that's what these guys are doing. Give us more power. Help us to do that, Lord. Verse 34, no was there any, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed each one as he had need. Okay? Wonderful thing that they did, and nobody was in need. Now remember, these people who had become Christians have been ostracized from community, from society. Many of you know this. In our community, if you come out of a background in our community, say LDS, okay? And I'm not picking on that, but 
you know that if you leave that, you leave family and, and jobs and everything else. It's true in, in, in pretty much everything. And that's what happened to these folks. They, they walked away from all that. Now they're, they, they don't have two nickels to rub together. And so everybody started pitching in and doing this. Kind of an interesting thing. Why did God do this with them? This is the only recorded instance of it in the Scriptures. Well, from this morning or this day that we're reading about here in Acts chapter 5, wind the clock forward 35 years, and Rome is going to surround Jerusalem. Titus Vespasian will be a general. He'll be an emperor someday, but he's a general. He comes into town. He surrounds Jerusalem. He seizes Jerusalem, but siege mound. They're starving. They can't do anything. And just a bizarre thing in history, and nobody could really figure it out, but it happened. It's recorded. One day, for whatever reason, they said, open the city gates and let anybody out that wants out. Well, the Christians left. You know why the Christians left? They didn't have anything to lose. They had already lost it all. They had surrendered it all. They didn't hold on to their possessions. They didn't have any possessions, right? And so when the gate was open, we're out of here. Whereas the Jews, they were, already, they were still bound in their business, in their treasure, in their position, and they couldn't leave. And they closed the siege mound up, and they starved to death over a million people. But the opportunity was there to go. Similar thing happened in World War II, in Nazi Germany. As things were heating up and they're carting Jews off to the death camp, they're going by, the trains are going by on Sunday morning, and the, the people are screaming and moaning as they go by the churches, and so the churches just sing louder so they don't have to listen to the noise of them going off to the death camps. Why didn't the Christians leave when Nazi Germany was coming to full force? Or the Jews or anybody else? Their businesses their homes, their assets, their possessions. And here God had set them up that they would be able to walk away free by just dying to themselves and living to Christ. And so kind of, I think that's probably what's going on in this, but everyone sells everything. So everything, everybody has as they need. Verse 36, and Joses, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, and in a parenthesis, which isn't translated, son of encouragement, bar, B-A-R, means son in Hebrew. And Nabas is the idea of an encourager. He's the son of encouragement. That was his nickname. That was his reputation in the church. His name was Joseph or Joses, and, but, but everybody called him Barnabas, Barney. Barney, because he was just that, that son of encouragement. How many of you guys know the, the cartoon, the TV show Flintstones? Anybody? Am I too old? Do you remember Fred, Fred Flintstone's good buddy? Barney, Barney Rubble, right? And if you think of Barnabas, think of Barney Rubble. He's always like, hey, Fred, I'm just, he's just here to support you, here to encourage you. He's just a good old guy. He's Barney, right? Barnabas. And that's what the church knew him as. That was his reputation. He walked in the room and he just had something good to say to everybody, encourage them, we can do this, come on, let's go. You're going to find him mentioned 29 times in the book of Acts and four more times in epistles throughout the New Testament. You're going to find him here in nine, chapter 9, 27, 11, 27, but especially in 13, 1, Acts chapter 13, 1, and we see that it is Barney who is sent out with Paul as the first missionary sent out from the church. And this whole business of Paul 
going around the world, his mission journeys, it begins with Paul and Barnabas. What a great guy to have on the team. Well, here's a little background information, even right up front. Barnabas, Joseph, who's also named Barnabas, translated son of encouragement, a Levite. So he's Jewish, and he's from a, a privileged family. He's got position in society, a Levite, but a Christian, a born-again Levite of the country of Cyprus. So he's really not born native born, right? He's like a Californian. Um, you have to be in Idaho for that to make sense. He's an out-of-towner. He's a foreigner, but he sells his property. What's the Levite doing with property? Well, in Cyprus, he could have that, right? But he sells that property. He gives it to the church. Just this gift of generosity. I like what we read in Romans chapter 12 on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what we're looking at here in the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, people speaking in tongue, miraculous healings, variety of different things. And here we see the Holy Spirit gift of generosity. We read in Romans chapter 12, I'll pick up at uh, verse 6, um, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministering. If you've got the gift of ministering, then, then do that. That's servanthood, basically. He who teaches in teaching. If you're a teacher, you ought to be teaching. And he who exhorts in exhortation. Yay, way to go, Barney. Right, right there. He who gives with liberality, giving, generosity. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It says, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He who gives with liberality. To be able to give to a cause, to support another in need, and not hold it as your own, but just to share with one another. When the Holy Spirit moves upon you, that's a thing that you can do. We've got the food drive going right now for um, the um, Mountain View food pantry. There's other pantries we support right now, but they're kind of low. And Thanksgiving is coming up. If you're looking for an opportunity just to give a little bit to somebody that doesn't have, you can go there. You don't have to bring it here. But if you bring it here, we'll take it there for you. And we'll get canned goods and things like that and support them. Lots of opportunity to give. Give to the tea home at the soup fundraiser, right? And, and support that ministry. 10% of everything that comes into this church is always sequestered. An accruals account is set up. We call it the, um, the charity account. And that count is for stuff that's not for you, for me, for us. That money, 10% of everything that comes in here, is for other places, other people, other needs. Whether it's the um, children's ministry in the Philippines, the work that's going on in Mexico, the Christian education going on on our high school campuses, Idaho Chooses Life, Sage Women's Center. I can go on and on and on with the things that we give to because God gives to us. You do understand that Christianity is giving, okay? Let me help you if you're not sure on this one. Uh, anybody here, first person that can think of it, just raise your hand. Could you tell me what John 3.16 says? Raise your hand. Only two of you? <laughs> you're so shy. What is John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. 
He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His very best. And we believe and we're inheritors of eternal life. But not only that, we are called His sons, His daughters, by adoption. Abba, Father. And like Father, like Son, He gives us His Holy Spirit so that we can be like Him. Jesus would say in the upper room um, that they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. And we do this in our ministry to one another in the, in the gifts of giving. And so we're seeing here this early church is, is born, and it's a generous church. It's a powerful church. It's a witnessing church. It's an honest truth church. There's healing going on, and we're going to see so many other manifestations of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit answers our prayer, give us boldness that in light of what the world is bringing our way, we can stand and we can be that light. We can be that salt. We can go into that world and just shine for Jesus. Let our light so shine that they may see our good works and say, wow, isn't the Springs Calvary Chapel great? That's not how it goes, is it? That we would shine, that they may see our good works, and then they would glorify our Father in heaven. I'm going to park it right there. Um, we've got salt and light ministry today, right after uh, the service, and uh, you can go pick up your kiddos, go get some coffee, get some cookies. We're going to be talking about the election. Tomorrow is the election. If you haven't voted already, this is your opportunity to go and exercise your duty, your responsibility, your ability to respond as a Christian and speak into the community that we live, that we can go out there and we can vote for Christian values and we can promote Christian uh, people. Um, I don't live in Hayburn. I can't vote for Joanne Justison, but if I did, I would definitely be voting for her for city council. That's me. You do what you want, but at the same time, you are free to stand up and make a difference. And so let's go ahead and pray that the Lord would give us opportunity. Father God, we do thank you so much for this testimony of boldness, this testimony of your grace being poured out, that your witness being irrefutable, that, that the healings and the the salvation, the people coming to the Lord. Yes, it's true. It's not just true. It's better than we could have ever imagined. And yet, we know that we have to encourage people, that they need to come and taste and to see and to experience it. And if they would just get in the water, they would see it too. Help us, Lord, to have the power, the opportunity, the words to just stand up and speak truth into this confused world, one person at a time, as you would put in our paths, just allow us then just to step up and speak up in Jesus' name. Amen? Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hayburn, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.